Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. I think most of you know that I'm kind of a curious individual. I've shared with you before that my dad had a nickname for me when I was smaller. His nickname was Who, What, Where, Why, When, and How. And uh, that, that gets uh, put on display, I think, often when I, when I teach from up here, because as a curious person, I'm always delving into how did that happen? How did that come about? It's created a, a deep interest in history for me, but it's also created a, somewhat of an interest in science as well. And so when I read through today's verses in John, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, the, the word that popped into my head was the word photosynthesis. And so I looked it up again. I wanted to refresh my memory from my high school science. And, uh, and, I, and I found this definition. Photosynthesis is a process used by plants to convert light energy into chemical energy that can be stored and then released later to fuel the activities of the plant or other organism. There are several other microscopic organisms that use photosynthesis. So to put that in terms that I understand better, it, photosynthesis is, it means that for a plant or similar organisms, organi organisms light is life. Light is what fuels the power of the cells in a plant. That got me to thinking about how Christmas is the, the season of light. And my curiosity went a little bit further, too, into why, why do we have Christmas lights and lights on our houses, lights here at church? What's, what's the association of, of light during Christmas season. And I, I, I'm sure you probably feel this way too. I love going on walks at Christmas time in our neighborhood, the, seeing the lights, the Christmas trees. There's a house in our neighborhood that has a, has a beautiful nativity scene in it. It's just so much fun to, 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 to look at all the decorations that the people have, have put up. Why, why all these displays of light? And then I came back to John chapter 1, and I realized there's the answer. See, John tells a little bit different story of Christmas. John tells us not the events or the circumstances of Christmas the way Matthew and Mark and Luke do. John actually wrote his gospel after those first three gospels were already written, and so what he wanted to open up his gospel with was not the events and circumstances of Christmas, but what's the why? What is it that caused Jesus Christ to come in the flesh and to come into our world? And so let's look at it right now. And as we read through this, I want you to be thinking about Christmas is a time of light. And I want you to be thinking about this is the why for Jesus coming at Christmas. It's, it's all printed out. I'm going to read it uh, through all the way, and then I'll come back and take on certain sections. By the way, this is an amazing section of Scripture, as you'll see. In the, in the beginning was the Word, 
And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, that is, that it, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and, and the, glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, as, as you read through that, what you see is just as light is important to the life of a plant in photosynthesis, just as light is important to us, there are so many, so many functions that if we didn't have physical light, our physical bodies would not survive. We would have no food. We would have no warmth. They say that if, if the sun was not shining, our atmosphere would be 450 degrees below zero. Without light at this time of year, many people, as we talked about last week, suffer, and that's because... Certain chemicals in our body need light to thrive, serotonin, uh, our, our sleep-regulating uh, cycles and circadian rhythms. Our physical bodies need light. But what John is telling us here is that our souls need light. Our spirits need light. And that God has provided that light and that life to us by sending his son, Jesus, for us. I want to take you back to the first paragraph. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So that's kind of an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it, that John uses there? And when he says, in the beginning was the word, what's he talking about there? Well, he actually answers that question all the way down in verse 14. If you have your crosswalk notes, you can go down there, and you can see that he's not talking about a what when he says the word became flesh, he's talking about a who. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So what John is 
using this term, the word for, is as a description for Jesus Christ. And the reason John uses this term is because it, was, it would have been very familiar to two groups of people. Number one, it would have been very familiar to the Jews because for, for the Jewish people, the, the word was God's tool, God's instrument to act in the world and to, to enact his plan, to carry out his purpose. And if you read the book of Psalms, in particular Psalm 119, or, or if you read through the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see that, that the word is, is a, a piece of terminology that's constantly used in the Old Testament by God to say, God acts in his, in his world through the word. And so when John identifies the word with Jesus, he's telling us he's enacting his plan in the world. He's carrying out his purpose in the world by sending his son, Jesus. And the word is what reveals to us who Jesus is. And so in this way, it was, very, it was a very uh, pregnant term, a very meaningful term for the Jews, but it was also important to the Greeks that were being reached by the Christians. Because the Greeks used this term to talk about a sort of operating principle, uh, a, a mediary principle from the gods down to the world. And so the gods would use the logos, is the Greek word, to sort of set up ideals upon which all the examples of reality are built. And in that way, this indicates a sort of mediating force between the gods and the earth. Now, what's interesting is, as John uses this, and as he talks about Jesus, we can see elements of both. We can see Jesus as the one who is here to carry out God's plan and purpose in the world. But we can also see Jesus as the intermediary, the one who comes from God to earth to pull the two of us together. It's a beautiful way to, to use a single term that's meaningful to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And it tells us something really important about our Savior, that he is both the tool through which good things happen in this world. In fact, even creation. Notice how John talks about it. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. It's clear that the early Christians got this. Because if you look in the Apostle Paul and some of his writings, for example, I put one verse here from the Colossians. The early Christians understood well that Jesus was come as the word, the description, the image. Take a look at what I, the, the passage that I put here. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. He's God's agent in the world, going all the way back to creation. And this shows us that Jesus is the eternal God and participated in creation. 
All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Why is Christmas a season of light? Because Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, true God himself, has arrived in our world to bring the light of life. As Paul writes to the Colossians, all things hold together in him. Let's talk about the meaning of this for your life. Do you find that in your life, things have a tendency to fall apart without a lot of care? Do you, do you find that in your life, sometimes you feel drained and without energy and that your soul and your spirit feels like it, it's, it's, its battery is being drained. You see, what, what God is telling us here is that your Savior, Jesus, is the creative energy and force, not as the Greeks thought of it, as purely a force, but a person, the Son of God who comes, and if we stay in his light, if we walk with him, if we keep coming to church, we attend growth group, we, we, we start a Bible reading plan, and now is a great time to do that, then we are in the word, and we are in Jesus. And it is exactly like we're plants with our leaves open, and the sunlight energizes us, and as Paul says, holds things together for us in our life. If you're struggling right now in your spirit and your soul to, to find energy, if you feel drained by what's happening in life to you right now, if you feel like things are disintegrating and falling apart, the place not to start is with your own effort. See, at New Year's, we always talk about New Year's resolutions, and I just have to step it up a little bit more, and we make lists of 10 or 15 things, and, and, and the thought process behind all of that is, if I just do some work of perfecting my life and do a little bit more and do a little bit better, then I'm going to have the energy I need, and my life is going to be held together. And what God is telling us is that Jesus is the light of life, and that as a pure gift to you, he has sent him into the world. He has sent his word into the world to give you all the energy you need as a gift, to give you all the glue that you need to keep things together as a gift. And all it, all it means for you is not more resolutions, but simply a willingness to rest in him. To have a time in your week where you come as you are here today. To set everything else aside and give your soul a little bit of time for rest and reflection. A little bit of time every day in the Bible. A little bit of time every week at your growth group to restore your batteries. To let your leaves unfold and take in the light of Jesus. Here's what I want you to write down. Jesus is the word the one through whom all things were made. He is the perfect revelation of who God is. And he made everything, and he made you. And he came to bring the light of life into the world. 
New Year's is such a time of, of asking ourselves, how can I make my life better? And, and the Bible's answer to that is pretty simple. Come out into the sunlight of Jesus and bask in that sunlight. So I want to take you back to the second paragraph. Stay on the first page or flip back to the first page if you flipped already. And, and let's take a look at the second paragraph starting at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now what John is this? There are a number of Johns in the Bible. This is referring to John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. God had made a prophecy already in Old Testament times that when he would send the Christ, the Messiah, he would send along with him a forerunner, someone who would point to the coming Christ. And this is him. He came as a witness, and will you circle that word witness? To testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe he himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. What, what we're hearing here is that Jesus is the main act. John the Baptist is the opening act. And God sent an opening act. He established an opening act for Jesus to get people ready for when his son, the Savior, the Son of God, would come so that people were expectant. People would know it's time. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. After he grew up, he began to preach and to teach. And he consistently said, I'm not really the one that you should be looking to. In fact, I'm not even worthy of untying his shoelaces the, the, or tying his shoelaces, the, the person who, whom God is sending to be your Messiah. But I'm here to point you toward him. That was John the Baptist's role. The interesting thing is that God has not just sent one forerunner, one witness. And in fact, there's not just one coming of Christ either. The important thing for us to, to understand is that as Jesus came once physically into this world to be our Savior, to be our Redeemer, Jesus still comes into our world today through his word, through the gospel, and today he wants to come into our hearts and our minds. And so God still sends John the Baptist out. And do you know who those John the Baptists are? Paul explains it as he's witnessing to a group of Jews on the temple steps. And, and, he, and he puts it this way, he explains it in terms of himself. But really, as we read through the whole Bible, we know that it, this stretches just beyond John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul. But let's take a look. A, a picture, the Apostle Paul standing on the, on the steps, explaining to a large group of Jews who are a little bit angry and frustrated. So he's doing his best to clarify for them what his role is. And he says this to them. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. 
you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, let me clarify a little bit. This is not Paul looking out at the crowd and saying he has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, even though that's true of the Jews. What he's doing here is he's quoting words of a man named Ananias. Ananias was a man who, whom Paul first encountered after he, after he was converted into the Christian faith. And if you'll recall that story, maybe you know it and, and quite, quite possibly you don't, but, but the Apostle Paul was blinded when he was converted and he encountered Jesus in a miraculous way. And then he had to go into a city called Damascus and there he encountered this man named Ananias. Ananias came and healed his eyesight. And these words that we just read are words of Ananias to Paul. The God of our ancestors has chosen you, Paul, to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness, Paul, to all people of what you have seen and heard. So it's clear that these words were intended initially for the Apostle Paul. But as you read what Paul writes, he takes these words and as he writes in his epistles and he, and he turns them around and basically says to everyone who hears the gospel from his lips, now the God of our ancestors has chosen you. To know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. God has chosen you, Crosswalk, to have this beautiful inheritance, this beautiful message, this beautiful light and life that we call the Bible the word of God so that you can see the righteous one and hear words from his mouth. And these words also apply to us today. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Already in Acts chapter 1, the apostles were told, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. What an important message for us to hear as we enter a new year. Because we have to stop and consider the light and the life that we have received. We've received it because we know Jesus. Because the gospel has been shared with us. We've received it because someone taught us about Jesus. Someone was a witness and now God says to you, keep being an opening act for Jesus so that he can come into other people's hearts. Keep being a John the Baptist to the people in your life, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. Be witnesses to them. 
And, and what does witness mean? You know, so often I think we, we've kind of gotten this idea that being a witness means you go around and make cold calls by knocking on people's doors. Or that, or that being a witness means you, you blast people with a, with a salesman's pitch about Jesus. And that really isn't what it's about at all. It's not what any of the apostles did, but they were bold. And they did go out and, and share the gospel in new places to new people fearlessly. But, but what they did when they witnessed was to simply tell people, this is what Jesus has done in my life. Did they have some Bible passages to go along with that? Yes, typically they did, but I, I don't know that they sat down and, and, and memorized a, a whole slate of Bible passages on a, on a page so that they go, could go out and, and spew them. They just kind of came naturally out of their relationship. Did they have a, a canned presentation? Paul had sort of a, a system and approach, but there was no canned presentation. If you read in the book of Acts, it was different in Athens than it was, say, for example, in Ephesus. And that was different from what he had done in other places like Damascus. Basically, what they did when they witnesses, it comes from that term, witness. And, and, and there doesn't have to be a huge amount of planning when you witness to something because you've seen it, you've heard it, you've experienced it. And so when we witness today, really all that is is to, to tell our story of what Jesus has done in our lives, the difference he's made, the light that he's shined into our life, the life that he's given us that's different from the life we had before him. So I want you to write this down. We are witnesses to Jesus so that through us, people may believe that he is the light of life. And there are two reasons we witness, according to John chapter 1. Let's flip back to the front page. Here's reason number one that John witnessed, and it's the same reason that we witness. Why did John do this? Why, why did the Baptist preach like this? Because he knew this. First, the true light that gives light to everyone, Jesus is the light for everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. John expected that not everybody was going to get it right away. Not everyone's recognizing him. He came to that which was his own. Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Even the Jews were not accepting of Jesus. Yet to all who did receive him, the disciples... Some of the others who followed him. To those who believed in his name. That's, that's giving you a good definition of what faith is. What belief is. It's to receive Jesus. And what, what do we typically receive? A gift. So as a gift you receive Jesus. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent 
nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I love that last section. And you can see that John is really making an emphatic point here. He's saying when people received Jesus, when they believed in his name, this was not something they decided to go out and get. Just as Jesus himself is God's gift, John the Apostle is teaching here that your faith is a gift too. Notice what he says. You don't believe or receive Jesus because your parents did. It's not natural descent. You don't believe because you in your own human strength made a decision for Christ. It's not from a human decision. It's not because your spouse, your husband, or your wife told you to believe in Jesus. How you came to be a believer in Jesus, how you came to receive Jesus in faith with the hands of your heart is that God gave that to you. You were born of God. His power did that. His love did that. John makes that an emphatic point because he wants us all to understand how deep God's grace, God's undeserved love is. That not only did he send Jesus to die on the cross for us to win forgiveness, to be the perfect sacrifice, but God also sends us the Holy Spirit so that we can make this personal and take what Jesus has done for the world, the light that he shed in the world, and take it home and let it be our light through faith. That's God's gift to us too. I want you to flip the page and see how Paul describes the same thing. He says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. When we witness, we share the Holy Spirit. When we share God's word, when we share Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit goes along with that. The spirit you you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And in him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is exactly what John has just told us. You become children of God. Paul's saying the same thing. When you trust Jesus as your savior. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What John is saying in John chapter 1 and what what Paul is saying here is is virtually identical. And I want you to circle three words. Top line... I want you to circle the word slaves. Third line down, I want you to circle the words adoption to sonship. And then one, two, three, four, five lines down, I want you to circle the word heirs. Because what Paul is making very specific here is the reason why we witness. And you can put this in your full fill-in, and it's based on these three words. Jesus came so that identities would be changed. Adoption to sonship. 
And if you want to draw an arrow from adoption to sonship to identities, you are now a child of God. Jesus came so that lives would be transformed. You are no longer slaves. Draw a line from slaves to lives transformed. And then Jesus came so that destinies would be altered. And draw a line from heirs to destinies. Jesus came so that identities would be changed, lives transformed, and destinies altered. And what what John is saying here, what John the Baptist was saying, what Paul is saying here is, here's what happened when you received Jesus by faith into your heart. Do you realize this? Your identity completely changed. You no longer have to search for who you are. You know who you are in Christ. You are a dearly loved child of God. Your life was transformed. You no longer have to be enslaved by sin. You're in control because the spirit is in control of your heart. You can choose to do what is pleasing in God's sight because of the spirit's power in Jesus living in you. And your destiny is altered, which means you are now an heir of everlasting life. You have heaven as your future. Why witness? Who doesn't want people that they love to have their identities made certain in Christ, to have their life transformed by the gospel? Who doesn't want people to know that there is a a completely different end game, a completely different destiny in store for them when they know Jesus Christ as their savior. We witness today, we carry this message. We, we act as an opening act for Jesus to come and arrive in people's hearts because we want people to know their identity in Christ and their life to be transformed and their destiny to be changed. There's one final thing, and that's contained in the very last verses. The word became flesh, And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son. Who came from the father. Full of grace and truth. So if reason number one for witnessing. Is what God does in you. For you. Reason number two. Why we witness. Is really all about God. You see God. Is so glorious so transcendent, so apart from us that we, we can't really see God. In fact, John himself says that just four verses later. Flip back over and you'll see this. No one has ever seen God, John writes, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. You know what I would compare this to? Anybody here ever stared at the sun for very long? It hurts, doesn't it? And in fact, if you want to see more than just a blur and have your eyes hurt really bad, what do you have to do? How do all those beautiful pictures get taken through cameras that show the activity of the sun? That's so bright and so glorious. It happens with a filter. You have to use a filter on the camera so you can actually see 
what's occurring in the activity of the sun and, and see down deep into his glory beyond just the brightness. See, in the book of Hebrews, it says, our God is a consuming fire. And, and when you can read throughout the Bible and it will tell you that God is so glorious we as sinners cannot possibly stand in his presence. When God revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, he had to hide, hide Moses in the cleft in the rock so that he didn't destroy Moses by showing himself to him. Our God is a consuming fire. But God wants you to know him intimately. He wants, he wants not only for you to have a right relationship with him, he wants you to have a tight relationship with him. And that requires for you to be able to see him exactly as he is. So what did Jesus, what did Jesus do to make that happen? Jesus acted as the filter. Just the last couple weeks, we've song beautiful Christmas hymns, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, and there's a, a beautiful line in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It goes like this, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Jesus is the veil. Jesus is the filter that allows us to look on God in human form and see God as he is, and to know his love, to know his mercy, his forgiveness, to know that his grace is there and applies to all of us. You see, God sent Jesus so that he could show us exactly who he is. Will you write this down? Jesus, true God, came to show us God's glory veiled in humanity so we could know God for who he is. When we witness, we have a beautiful message. It's all about Jesus. Because as we present Jesus to people, we present God's love, mercy, forgiveness, and grace. When we present the cross and the empty tomb, when we present Christmas, the first Christmas, the true Christmas, we show that God wants all of us to have light and life in our hearts and in our minds. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do in 2016, and I put it down for meditation. I'd love to have you list three people in whom you will invest. Start just by praying for them and ask God in prayer, for the opportunity to witness to them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have been so gracious to us, so amazing to us to send us your son, to show us who you really are and all those beautiful gospel truths of your love and forgiveness. We see them all in Jesus. Thank you for veiling your glory in your son, Jesus. And thank you for, for Jesus who came in human flesh so that we could have a savior who is true God and true man in one person. Lord, as we, as we celebrate Christmas, help us to see John's explanation of why Jesus came at Christmas to bring us true life 
and true light. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Let the sun rise on your life. That's what this message is all about. Not the S-U-N sun, but the S-O-N sun. And when you bask in his light, you will have life. He will feed you with his light so that you can have life. And that is going to change your identity forever. It's going to transform your life. And it's going to alter the course of your destiny. And that's an awesome thought. But it's not meant just for us, is it? What we learn is all of us can be an opening act for others and witness and and help this son to be known to others who don't yet have the son, Jesus, in their life. Let me uh, send you out with the Lord's blessing. Before I do that, I want to remind you that I'll be up here if anyone has questions about today's message. I'll be here. If you're a guest, please come up. I'd love to meet you. And, um, and if anyone just wants to be prayed with, I'd be happy to do that too. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord.